0: I had this thing where I knew education was my passion. It was always amongst these two things. I always knew it was either going to be healthcare or education. And the reason I wanted to do those two things is because of my experiences, but also because I felt like I don't want to wait till the last day of my life or to the later years of my life to give back. The nice thing about healthcare and education, as you're building, you can be giving back to society. And I always believe that you can be in these two sectors, you can be building massively profitable businesses. So, you know, something where I can be doing financially well for myself as well as doing good for others.
1: Hi, I'm Amanda Kua, and this is One More Scoop. Here, we're sitting down with Southeast Asia's top founders, executives, and investors to have honest conversations about their personal journeys and find out what really happens behind the scenes. Today, I'm speaking with Abhay Sabu. Abhay is the co-founder and CEO of CoLearn, one of Southeast Asia's fastest-growing K-12 edtech platforms. By providing access to the best teachers across the country for just $7 a month through cohort-based live classes, CoLearn is gradually increasing the motivation of Indonesians to learn. Before CoLearn, Abhay founded Viva Health, one of Indonesia's largest primary care chains with over 100 pharmacies and clinics spread throughout the islands of Java and Bali. He also holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and a BS in Electrical Engineering from Georgia Institute of Technology. Hi, hey, So nice to finally speak with you. I don't think we've ever had a long conversation before, so I feel like I'm going to learn a lot about you today.
0: Hey Amanda, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
1: So the first question I ask all of the guests that we have on the podcast is, "What was your childhood like?" I know that you grew up in Indonesia, which might be a surprise for some. So I'd love to know what you know life was like for you growing up.
0: Yeah, I uh, I, I moved to Indonesia at the age of three. So my parents are Indian, but they they got a job in you know my dad got a job in Indonesia back in 1986. So I was a I was a three year old back then. Moved to Samarang, a small city in Central Java, and my elementary school, middle school, high school uh all there um so yeah in indonesia is is my home, right? Yeah. And now, actually, when I talk to my kids who are growing up here for them, it's they're just reliving my childhood of considering Indonesia their home, so yeah yeah, you yeah, i I have the Indian roots, but definitely i'd say I, i'm I'm more Indonesian.
1: And what was life like growing up in Central Java? I assume that it's a bit different from growing up in Jakarta, right? Is it more fun?
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, for me, coming to Jakarta felt like you know a big deal. I, I still remember seeing the malls in Jakarta because you know growing up in 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 those smaller cities, it was just you didn't have as many of the facilities as you did in the bigger ones. But you had a lot of nature. You know, in my school, on one side, actually on two sides, was like volcanoes.
1: Oh, wow. That's really on, on, unique. On both
0: sides of my school. And so this is a school in Salatiga. It's a small missionary Christian school about an hour away from Salatiga, about an hour away from Samarang. So, yeah, definitely very different experience, but also very pure experience, you know. So for us, yeah, yeah you know, even going to a small city like Samarang felt like a big deal. Going to the mall, you know, any, any new mall that would open, you'd feel like, oh, this is the best thing. If a McDonald's or a KFC would open... You know that would become the highlight of your year, right? So, yeah. So, so uh, you know, I, I guess what it taught me is a lot of thankfulness because uh, growing up in some of the smaller cities. Sometimes you just don't have access to the things that you do in in some of the larger cities that you take for granted.
1: So, on the weekends, would you guys like frequently go to like different places, or would that be like a once a quarter, once every few months thing?
0: Well, my dad, he was working. You know, I respect the man so much. He's spent uh, most of my childhood i saw him work you know six or seven day weeks right uh you know at least saturdays he was working you know at some point you know as, as before that he was working half days on sundays as well so we we didn't go out as much but you know we would we would you know once a quarter probably we would go out to uh, a city around the area and uh and again there was a lot of nature there right so there's a lot of volcanoes a lot of mountains uh, there's ocean uh, everywhere in you know in, in Central Java, so so we we did have a lot of fun places to go to.
1: Do you speak like um, fluent Bahasa, or do you learn like a dialect growing up in Central Java?
0: Uh, so I, Bahasa I speak fluently, mm-hmm. but there's also a local dialect Javanese, mm-hmm. and so uh, Javanese I speak a little bit of, or at least I understand. I mm-hmm. pick it up a little bit, but I'm not so fluent in it. So what, what, I, what I but but Bahasa I'm completely fluent in.
1: Can you write? javanese like not, i have not i don't know anything oh about no, it. no no so it's no it's just no. like I, a dialect I, that you speak
0: yeah well it's a dialect that i understand i speak very little but mostly it's indonesian and bahasa
1: i see and do you remember like back then growing up in central java what did you like to do as a kid like maybe seeing what your kids do now looking at yourself like what are the similar hobbies you have or what were the different hobbies that you had growing up
0: I well you know I I was I was a loner kid because I had two siblings and they were both much older than me. So I had a, a brother who was 12 years older and a sister who was 10 years older and they they used to live outside so I was, I was a lonely kid and we we didn't have you know I didn't have that many friends growing up but you know because we, we were mostly so even though I was in Indonesia, was going to an international school, and as you can imagine, in a city like Semarang, not many people there, right? so mm-hmm. so usually would end up doing a lot of activities on my own, you know, cycling around or you know but but sometimes I would uh, end up meeting with our friends, and the the most fond memories that I have of activities was going to the mall
1: Oh right so okay.
0: <laughs> and I'm, I, and somehow I ended up in Jakarta, which is the city of malls. yes, and my kids my kids now you know almost 40 years later, I see my kids do exactly the same things that I'm doing right? and enjoy exactly the same kind of activities that I used to enjoy.
1: Yeah, the malls in Indonesia are so like, I, I guess like grand when I look at the malls from here, like, and I visited the first time as a kid too, I was like, wait a second, the mall could be this big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really cool. I really I want to see it sometime again. And you like, did you stay at the same school? for all the years of like your primary and high school education, or did you move
0: around? So primary education I did in Samarang, in Samarang International School. And then for my secondary, I moved over to a school in Salatiga. There was a school called Central Java Intermission School. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a very small school set up by, you know, American missionaries. Uh, And it was located in the middle of Yogyakarta, Solo, and Samarang, which are three main cities in Central Java. Just to put uh, you know in perspective, like this Central Java, this one province is twenty five million people, right? So okay. it's a pretty large yeah. uh, place. But this the school sort of connected you know the these three towns, and so growing up, so so yeah, so I, I moved over there because they just had slightly better education, and you know I I always knew I wanted to go to the U.S. Mm-hmm. for my undergrad, and so it just uh, you know seemed like a better place to to be at. Uh, in in that school we had. Um, you know, but we we had it was all American students, yeah, and Korean students, and then there was you know two Indians, and I was I was one of them. So
1: were all the Americans like um actually like American as in white Americans? Like was that how it looked like? Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah
1: so yeah. you guys really yeah. like I guess were dif- different in a sense. Like there were so many Americans, so many Koreans, and then just you guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, and I I think that's for me. The beginning of you know what i because it's very hard for me to associate myself with any one country right i mm-hmm. i i love india because i'm from there i love the food my parents are from there i go there i culturally you know i can understand it i can speak hindi i love indonesia because i've grown up here i love the country so much i love the people but i lo- i have that same love for the u.s because i i you know i had american friends my whole mm-hmm. life yeah, Exactly. Uh, i, I I went to school in the U.S., I can understand, I understand the value set, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's been, you know, I, I also worked in China for a bit. And, and actually, I, I, you know, every, I've, I've had this love for China for a long time as well. So it's very hard for me to ever associate myself as, you know, one nationality. And, but, but I think the, the root of that started as a result of schooling, uh, you mm-hmm. know, with just a diverse set of people.
1: Yeah, because like, if you look at your classroom, most of them are Americans or Koreans, you kind of have a bigger affinity towards them, because those are the people you see every day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly, exactly.
1: And so you said that you always wanted to study in the US. Did your parents study in the US as well? Or was it something that you wanted to do personally?
0: No, I think it's something I want to do personally. But but maybe, you know, it it probably came as a result of just being in an American environment. And so just just understanding that. And I I thought, man, the, the idea of going to India and trying to prepare for IIT, right? You know, having yeah, grown up in scary. the American system. <laughs> super scary. So, you know, my parents were like, hey, either you go there, right? And I was like, no, no, I don't want to go there. <laughs> yes. That sounds very scary. I've never done anything in the Indian education system. So <laughs> I was trying to run away from that. And, you know, back then, I don't think there was a lot of great opportunities in Indonesia for higher education. Uh, Singapore was an option, but didn't really consider it because my parents hadn't been. So I guess, you know, because I was familiar with the U.S. system, mm. uh, always was preparing for the U.S.
1: So I actually went like to three different schools growing up. So my last school was an international school. And something I noticed among the three, like the first two were local schools, but one was a new school, one was like a long established school. I noticed that education was really different among all three. So as I transferred school to school, I struggled actually to, to adapt to everything. So when I went to my like first transfer, I found this school like so easy. And the only subject I struggled with was Filipino. But after like one year of really trying to study Filipino, like I'd read the Filipino version of the English version of the book. Then I'd read the Filipino version after and like try to piece it together. After doing that for one year, I started to like almost ace Filipino. And I was like, okay, well, now I'm done learning everything. Everything is not too easy. Now I think I want to go somewhere else because I don't feel challenged anymore. And then the next school, I was so challenged. <laughs> I had to drop down <laughs> by one class <laughs> for like math. <laughs> was that something that you experienced as well, transferring to different schools? Because I'm I'm wondering like where you got the interest in education. Was it through that experience? Because after I transferred twice, I felt like I felt strongly about like the quality of education. I felt like, how could it be so different among these three schools? <laughs> Not just two, but all three.
0: <laughs> I think for me, the start of sort of my experience with education was when I was in seventh or eighth grade. And it wasn't so much the change of schools. It was more, you know, I, I mentioned, right? There was, you know, we had Korean students also there. And I, I actually ended up starting to tutor some of the Korean kids in English. And, you know, I was tutoring some in math as well, right? And it started somewhere early in, in, in middle school. I don't remember exactly if it was seventh, eighth grade, right? But it was very early to some of the younger students right, in English and then later on in math. I think that's where it uh, really started for me, uh, just this experience of helping others. And, and I think there was a lot of satisfaction back then. I remember my, my pocket money used to be food, Right yeah. so uh, you know so uh, i'd go teach and i'd get really good bulgogi right or really good uh korean food what amazing uh, motivation probably, I, <laughs> yeah and i i think i used to get some some money as well. i don't remember actually if i got money or not but i definitely remember the food yeah and and that sort of continued then you know because i uh, yeah, when i went to college i was also a teaching assistant and before college while i was applying for college i used to teach in in, in the summer, I'd go to India and, and would teach there as well to kids with disabilities. And so it just sort of grew, but you know grew from there. But I think the starting point was as a young kid, helping other kids learn subjects like math and English.
1: I see. And um, when you were like doing the tutoring, do you remember how it started? Was it just like somebody saying, like, "Oh, can you help me out?" And then did it evolve to something like, "Oh, can you help me out every Thursday?" Or was it always yeah. like informal? Like, just help
0: me out whenever I ask uh, you. I, it started off very informal. I think it became a little bit more formalized. Uh, I used to do it a little bit more regularly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't remember doing it for very long. Uh, I, I just remember that it, it, it was, you know, maybe three, four months is what I remember. But it was just, you know, gave me that taste that, hey, this is, this is a great feeling to be able to help someone. Yeah. And, you know, increase their confidence. And so I think that that became, you know, a place where I started feeling good about myself because I was helping others.
1: And you could see their progress, right? Because they're your classmates or schoolmates. So you could see like if they were continually improving, like if they still needed your help or if they didn't need your help anymore. <laughs> Maybe they yeah. learned the skills to like solve the problems themselves. It should have been really cool. Yeah. So I think you did electrical engineering for your undergrad. How did you end up choosing electrical engineering? Did you really like, like engineering classes when you were in like maybe high school or
0: like
1: physics or similar subjects? I I hated it. I, oh, okay. <laughs> I hated
0: it. I I in fact I always wanted to go into business, right? And I knew so I wanted to pursue a uh, bachelor's in business administration, yeah. and so that was that was really the the goal that I had. Yeah. But my brother, who was twelve years older to me. He is actually, you know, the shaping force behind a lot of my thoughts. Uh, really? You know, and 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 so what he'd said to me back then uh, was, you know, because he, he, he actually he's the one who put in this idea of business in my head because he was 12 oh. years older. I remember when he was applying for MBA schools in Australia. Right. And mm-hmm. he would apply to all these different places and he would say, hey, look, you know, our parents. You know, cannot afford to send me to some of these schools in the U.S. And he'd put these names in my head, like Stanford and Harvard and whatnot, right? And I'd, I, I had no idea like what these names are, but he would just put them into my head. And he said, "Look, we we don't have, you know, I, parents can't afford to send us there, but I want you to go there someday, right?" So he's like, and then he'd make me read business books. So oh. I was so into business, right? I, you know, I I would come home, like he would come home. And he would ask me, you know, if I was drinking a can of Coke, he'd be like, what is the net margins of Coca-Cola? Right? Are you or, serious? How you know, old were you? Like I'd high be,
1: school?
0: Middle I, school? I was in middle school, high school. Right. And I'd be wearing, you know, back, back in the day, it was all about baggy jeans. Right. So we'd be <laughs> going around the mall in baggy jeans. Right. Uh, me and the Korean guys. And my brother would be like, hey, you know, who was the CEO of this company or who, you know, what's the net margins of this business? And I'd be like, oh, my God. And if I if I didn't know, he would whack me, right? So <laughs> so, I, so then I started reading all these business books, right, early on. And and so I was super interested in business. And then uh, when I wanted to apply for my major, I said, hey, look, I want to get into business now. And he's like, no, no, you can't do that. I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, Yeah, I why?
1: <laughs> I miss and any business like, because of you.
0: <laughs> but what he said to me, I remember still, was he said, look, you know, one day you know, the world is becoming more and more technologically advanced and technology will take over. And, you know, one day you will lead a company where there will be engineers working for you and you will be, you know, surrounded by uh, folks in technology. And if you don't understand, you will feel very bad about yourself. Right. So I want you to be confident. And I want that's why that's the reason I want you to pursue engineering. Right. So that, that was the start of engineering. So that's how it happened.
1: That's an awesome story. I feel like what year was that? 2000, this no, was, not even two thousand nineteen
0: ninety. Oh, yeah, 2000, 2000 I was applying in 2000, 2000, 2001. So, yeah, this is 1999,
1: 2000. I feel like he is really early to the trends then. <laughs> he, he,
0: he, he always was. He was always, you know, ahead of his time, reading up, knowing what's happening in the world.
1: What was he doing at that time, like in the year 2000? Was he working or was he doing his MBA?
0: So I think he back then he just got back from his MBA and he was Uh working in Asia with Pricewaterhouse.
1: Oh, okay, Super cool. So you applied for electrical engineering or alone or like did you apply for different kinds of engineering, like in different universities? Actually,
0: my my dream and my big heartbreak in life, you know, happened when I applied for college because my (laughs) my biggest dream was. To go to the Jerome Fisher Program in Penn. Oh
1: yeah, that's so competitive.
0: <laughs> because that was, you know, a combination of engineering and, and business, right? And I thought, <laughs> and I thought, this is great. Like this is where yeah. I want to go, right? But you know, during the process, my parents were like, "Hey, I'm, and we don't have the money to send you there right now." So you know, you can apply, but but I applied anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I, I got rejected, and oh my god, like that, I I was just so taken back, right? So. So finally, then I was like, okay, where do I apply? And yeah. I, I, I thought, look, I oh, want to go. Oh, you did ED
1: to the Jerome Fisher program?
0: Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay, so, so early heartbreak and
1: before you yeah, applied to MIT. Very early heartbreak.
0: <laughs> and, I, and I thought like, okay, you know what? You know, my parents are like, no, you got to go to the US. We got to find an affordable college. So it's like, okay, how do I manage? How do I get the best bang for the buck? Yeah. And uh, that's how I ended up applying to, to Georgia Tech.
1: Because it's known for engineering but it's also it's a great it's affordable. a super
0: engineering super yeah. engineering program but it's you know back then it was like i think 25 or 30k a year versus other programs which were like 50k 60k a year
1: i remember you said that you were really interested in china so i also applied early decision to penn in a similar program so another jerome fisher program i already forgot the name but it's the one that would allow me to study like china and culture and business so for me yeah. that that was like my two things I also got rejected, Ed, and my parents also
0: were like, <laughs> "We have something in common." <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, so I was like, "No, I know that didn't really happen. Like, it was unlikely, but still, no."
0: <laughs> but early, early heartbreaks are important, you know, because yeah. uh, uh, heartbreaks help you, uh, you know, get stronger.
1: Yes, but- you get motivated. <laughs> so after you got into like Georgia Tech. You said you hated engineering. So did you hate it from like the first
0: no, semester no I, or... no? I I I didn't hate engineering. I, I think one of the things that I've always had, you know, I I'd say the the thing that I I, I pride myself on is just learning quickly. Right? Mm. So that's the one thing that I've had. I I've never been the best at anything, but I've I've always had the ability to learn something quickly. Mm. And and so if I'm in an environment, I can adapt to it. And so the fact that I was in engineering, I could totally adapt to it and I could, you know, oh, I, I just okay. learned and I picked it up and I, 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 you know, I did relatively well in that environment, not because I loved it, but because I knew, hey, I'm in this environment, I might as well make the best out of it. Right. So. Right. So you
1: didn't hate um, it, it, just that yeah. you like business more.
0: I just like business more. And everybody <laughs> knew, all my friends knew, like this guy, he's going to go and he's going to, you know, he's not going to be in engineering, but he's just, he's, he's just, just here, here for the sake of it.
1: <laughs> Yeah. So when you're studying at Georgia Tech, what was it like like studying in the u s was it what well, do you imagine was it did it feel like home?
0: <laughs> yeah, no i it felt very much like home, you know, and i I think uh, again, a childhood where I'd grown up in an international environment with American friends really helped because i, I just felt very much at at ease and at home and uh yeah, I mean uh, you know so most most of the things uh, i had in common one thing i had different with all my friends you know we used to have back in my freshman year yeah all my friends would take you know classes like spanish yeah and i was back then i was like so in love with china so i was like <laughs> no, i'm i'm going to take mandarin right yes. so i remember being the again the only indian kid in the mandarin class uh, Who else know, is well, there yeah. in
1: the mandarin class then
0: it was it was all it was all you know i think You know, my Chinese American friends are are even folks from China, right? Yeah. uh, Maybe a couple of Americans, but mostly, you know, yeah. So so it was mostly that. And then there was one Indian guy, right? (laughs) Uh, And I was always like telling my parents, like, no, no, like, you know. And telling everyone, my friends were always like, "Why? Why would you do this? Because yeah. The whole point when you're an engineer you want to get easy A's when yes. you can, right? Why
1: are you taking the so why would you class? Why would
0: you waste? Why would you waste language and a difficult language? You know, right? somebody uh, told me you know that always too. Like,
1: <laughs> like I think yeah. Mandarin, and they said, like, why is why are you taking this class for your like last two years? You're gonna die. I was like, no, I like yeah. it. They're like, take Spanish, it's easy, you can start from zero. I was like, no.
0: Oh <laughs> yeah, you know, I I was always just thinking like you know, China one day is gonna just it's gonna be a massive country and it's yeah. super important and i want to be able to learn right and i'm 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 indian i've i've been in indonesia i'm comfortable with the us so if i can just be comfortable with one more country china yeah
1: then you i've can got enter it all covered that, every that, big market <laughs> that,
0: that, that, that's how i felt <laughs> so, so that was the, that was the business side of me speaking even though i was yeah. an engineer
1: but i guess like you also probably drilled down like Mm, the potential with an engineering mindset, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Well,
0: somewhere probably. Yeah. But, but uh, definitely the business mindset was still yes. on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you, you did like a management training, management leadership program. Was that like during your undergrad or after?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, so actually I I was, you know, I was working, I was alternating between work and school. So uh, in engineering, so I would, I would go to college one semester, and then I would work one semester. And, and it was called the co op program. And it just helped me pay my bills as well. Right. And so I started doing that with uh, GE, Started off in their consumer products business in Louisville, Kentucky. So I, you know, as my college was in Atlanta, started working in Louisville, Kentucky, and then moved over to their healthcare business. So I was just alternating between college and GE every other semester. So this this leadership program that you're talking about, OMLP, which is Operations Management Leadership Program, this was part of their, their program. So they, they you know back then, GE was like, it was the place to be, right? Yeah. Back in the early 2000s, especially if you're an engineer and operations guy. And so they had these different leadership programs in sales and finance, engineering and operations. And I said, "Hey, look, I'm an I'm an engineer, but I want to move towards business. But the next thing I want to pick up is operations, right? Yeah. I want to know how to run a business scalably. So that's how I got into this this program called OMLP.
1: So is the co op program something that Georgia Tech usually offers, or is it something that like GE offers Then you have to con- convince Georgia Tech to let you do?
0: No, no. Georgia Tech is actually one of the best schools when it comes to co op. One of the top schools when that gives this opportunity of people to you know this flexibility to work and Go to college, oh, and I, awesome. I was I was an international as as an international student back then, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, as an international student, to secure a job in the U.S.,
1: it's very. I hard. thought, hey,
0: if if I have the work experience there, then it's going to help me, and and it, it indeed did, right? Because I got an in, early into GE.
1: Yeah. So, what was it like in GE? So, you were there for three, four years on and off, and you went to the U.S. and China. So, how did the China thing start? Is it like part of the program or did you convince them to let you go to
0: China? No, it was definitely convincing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I think GE really was the first place where I, I, I really learned the entrepreneurial skills of convincing. <laughs> and, and a lot of my earliest learnings actually came from GE, right? So I, I remember when I, because I, I started off in their consumer products business mm-hmm. and at my job was as an intern there was basically you know you, you know those refrigerators where you can put your cup and water comes out right yes and and there's I a pipe that. that goes inside and my job was i was in their consumer products plant my job was how can i make this pipe shorter by like an inch so yeah. that you know g can save like 0. 0.0001 <sighs> cent per refrigerator yeah right? and i was like oh my god this is the most boring job on the planet so <laughs> 0.000 while there, i was there, no,
1: even one percent <laughs>
0: Yeah. I was like, while I was there, I was like, you know, hey, let me I, I want to learn something else. So I I I started messaging, you know, I, I just found the CFO, right? And I was like, hey, this sounds cool. So let me let me let me message the CFO of consumer pro and this is like a multi-billion dollar business. <laughs> I was an 18-year-old Indian intern in the US. Uh, I just messaged this guy and I'm like, hey, you know what? I, I'd like to learn finance. Can I come to you? Right. I didn't even write to the finance manager. straight yeah. to the CFO. And he's like, sure, come right in. Right? You know, And I, 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 so I ended up going in. And I remember, that's where I first learned his admin, you know, it would just take forever, right? So and people would be there. And I, you know, uh, while I was waiting, first time, I thought, you know what, let me bring her some chocolate covered potato chips, because I, I just tried it uh, a week ago. So I brought it with me, and she was so happy. And that gave me access to him every time I wanted, <laughs> right? Like, I would, get, I would get priority over much more senior managers, right? <laughs> this intern. And so again, that, that learning started happening there. Then uh, I, I remember, you know, I, when I wanted to move over from G Consumer Products over to G Healthcare, I had written to our, uh, the, the, you know, the HR manager there that, hey, I'm bored working in consumer products. I want to move over here. And she would always say to me, uh, you know, so they, they wouldn't respond. So I finally wrote to the group Head of HR of GE. And then I get, a, I get a phone call. You know, I'm sitting in the office. I get a phone call from this person saying, hey, is this Ar- Ar- Abe Sabu on the other line? I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is him. And she's like, you know what? Can you please explain why you did what you did? You know, Because you are exactly the kind of person that we do not want at GE. Oh I was God. like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, oh, crap. Like, my whole life is gone, right? Like, I, I wanted this, you know, this company. I want to be here. I'm an international student. I need a job. So I was like, how do I, how do I respond to her, right? And she's like, hey, I've got my whole team on speakerphone. You're on speakerphone, right? Like, how do you answer this? So I was like, hey, listen, I'm, you know, I'm very sorry that I wrote straight to the head of HR and bypass. And I was like, look, you know, I'm just glad that I did this when I'm 19 and not when I'm 30, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, so... So she's like, okay, whatever, hung up. And next oh, day I had an offer letter, right? Uh, oh, okay. The next day I had an offer letter from her. So I, I just, you know, G is a place which I look to very fondly as, as a place where I just started learning some of the early negotiation skills and early practical skills of perseverance in life.
1: So how did you get like everyone's emails? Were they like open to everyone to access, or did you find them like by hacking the names of the email?
0: <laughs> no, I mean that's the nice thing about no, that's the nice thing about the U.S., right? Like most things are pretty open. Uh, oh, I mean, okay. like people have this choice of not responding, but but yeah, I was in the internal. I think in the internal system you could see mm-hmm. it.
1: Okay. So that's yeah. I,
0: I, yeah, I think it's probably the internal system as well.
1: I think that's an interesting point. Like the people in between don't tend to respond, but if you get high enough, they will respond <laughs> positively or negatively.
0: <laughs> I mean, they, because no one no one reaches out to them, right? Yeah. And, and it's just like, you know, with Google, it's not that the information is not available. It's just that people don't have the curiosity. And I think mm-hmm. also with leaders and coaching, it's the same thing, right? If you just have that hunger, a lot of people are willing to give you that time.
1: Could you share a bit about like, after you got the offer when you were getting bored? what happened next? Like, what was the job like? Did you get bored again at some point? Or was it like the job?
0: No, I mean, I, I was super happy. I mean, the reason, you know, the reason I wanted to move over to GE Healthcare was because I saw this poster where, you know, it was, you saw three children and you saw their back and one's back said lawyer, the other's back said doctor. And then the third one on top of them, it said cancer, right? Saying that one third of people will get cancer at some Right, you know, and so I, I was just super excited, super happy to be to be able to go there. And so I think generally in G healthcare, I was I was very very happy. Then I I finally convinced them to go to. I think sorry, you asked me earlier, right? So uh, oh, how did China happen, yeah. also, right? Uh, and so I, I I finally convinced them that hey, look, I really want to go to China because I just want to learn. And back then there was I, I think there was some some technical issue for which you know i would it would make it easier if as a international employee because i was on an h1 visa they were going to process it so it just made sense for me to go out for you know a few months and then come back in so i i convinced them and the whole story just played in well together that please let me go to china and you know it solves two it kills two birds with one stone so so that's that's how that happened but but you know just the fact that they allowed me to go because this program was every six months they would put you in very different programs in very different places and you would get to see very different parts of the company right so in that way it just was a very exciting program to be a part of so I never I never felt the itch to leave
1: mm, okay so it was more of like the itch to go between like different departments but never like to leave GE yeah yeah so when you're working at GE Healthcare do you think you really liked it because it felt more impactful than the other things that you're because it was maybe dealing with
0: human life? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we were, you know, literally we were making MRI machines and CT scanners and the best quality ones, right? And, and uh, x-ray machines and whatnot. So it was definitely very impactful. You were working with high-quality people. And GE generally had this environment where, you know, when you were, when you were part of GE back then, right? It's sort of like, you know, when, when you guys think, you know, when people think about Google now, if you're a mm-hmm. Googler now, you think that's the world, right? Yeah. Back then GE was that company and it existed for 100 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you were part of GE, you would just think this is the world. You don't need anything else. You don't need any more management skills because they had this great program in Crotonville, New York, which is like the mecca of learning. Right. And so you you just thought like, like, hey, you have everything there. You don't need an MBA because they had this thing called corporate audit staff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the leaders were born out of there. Right. So you just you you would sort of start thinking, like, this is all I need. I don't need yeah. anything else. In there. I just need
1: this air GE and I'll be fine. And things will be amazing. I'll be fine.
0: And, and 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 you would just think, like, this is the world, right? Yeah. like
1: I guess and, like it's like you're have on top so many of these... the world at, like, GE. It's like, this is, like, the top.
0: I mean, I don't know fields. about top. I, I don't know about top, but it just felt complete, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, and because you felt like, look, uh, hey, look, if I ever get bored of healthcare, there's GE oh, aircraft. okay there there's g aircraft engines there's g energy there's g corp, you know there's g capital right there's oh there's NBC, g
1: capital okay
0: <laughs> g capital right which is a huge part of the business there's nbc g energy right so there's so many different parts and you just thought like hey you could you could stay here and cover the, the world
1: and then when you finally got to china what was it like how much chinese did you know <laughs>
0: I knew a little bit, but I, oh, it was the best thing. I, I remember, like, I, I got to, you know, I, I landed in Beijing on a midnight. And the best part was, you know this was 2006, and Beijing was on, like, lights <laughs> were just on, right? And I was like, this is crazy. Like, because where I was, you know, in the U.S., the places I was in, like, Waukesha, Wisconsin, or yeah, whatnot, yeah. right? Or, you know, Louisville, Kentucky it was like, the Midwest, and, you know. Yeah. And places were just dead by, like, 6, 7 p.m here it's midnight and the lights are still like banging and you know you're you're thinking this is crazy so i got to the hotel dropped my bags off and my hotel was connected to the hard rock cafe so i just go down to the hard rock cafe and this is crazy right so that was my first experience but slowly i mean what i used to love about being there uh, is your learning just gets accelerated especially with mandarin right you know because I learned from the cab drivers, I learned from the waitresses, right? And I just keep pointing to like, hey, what is this? What is this? What is this? They keep telling me, right? So it it just all got accelerated. And and of course, also, you know, in the workplace, people would speak some English in GE, but still, you know, it's much easier to get closer to people if you could speak some Mandarin. So uh, yeah, so so that definitely accelerated the the learning side of language. But mm-hmm. besides that, I think what was nice of the nice part about being there was also understanding China much more culturally.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, not just with food, but just with people's lives, right? You know, how they sort of go about their life, how they see the world. I got to understand much more about just the dynamics between Japan and China right mm-hmm. uh, cuz my I didn't one of my know jo- my well
1: job... until like a few years ago i was like whoa <laughs> yeah.
0: my, my job my job literally was to move a ct scan a uh, plant right a ct scan manufacturing line from japan to china and every time it would get rejected right going out of japan like but i was like hey you know the americans would come and they'd be like no, no everything is perfect you can move it over now but in Japan, every time it would keep getting rejected, and then finally, I, I, you know, I flew to Japan. I went there, and that's when I understood that, hey, look, you know, there's, there's more to this, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so just understanding the, the cultural side of things was also helpful.
1: So I saw that you left GE in 2007 and then took your MBA. But you also mentioned that you kind of didn't have to take your MBA if you were at GE. So what pushed you to take your MBA?
0: My mom. Your mom, uh, you know. <laughs> not your brother. Well, my brother was in, in earlier, right? But my, my mom, you know, she she basically, my, my cousin got into IIM Ahmedabad, oh. <laughs> uh, you know? And my mom was like, oh, look, you know, your cousin's already in the top school in India. Like, what are you going to do, right? Uh, you have to make me proud. And I'm like, mom, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy where I am. And, you know, GE's corporate audit staff is awesome. She's like, yeah, no, no, no. That, you know, I'm just going to be very sad. <laughs> like, fine, you know, mom, uh, just to make you happy, let me apply, right? So, so I, but I mean, I, yes, but also before that, I already had this thought that I was going to apply. So I it was just like an extra be, push, I
1: guess.
0: It was, it was the extra push, but yeah. uh, you know, so yeah, so I, I ended up applying uh, and back then, you know, of course my, my first heartbreak pen, I had to apply there.
1: So <laughs> Did it work out?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I did, I, I, so I applied the warden as well, uh, but you know. In round one, I applied there. Round two was, you know, in HBS. Uh, when I applied to Wharton, I, so, you know, got accepted, but I was waiting. I was waiting to see what happens oh. with with HBS in round two. Yeah. And finally, when I got the acceptance, I emailed them. And I remember, like, as soon as I emailed, the admissions director called, like, within a second of receiving oh, the email, right? Yeah, and I, I still remember the guy, Thomas Khalil, right, you know? And, called, and he's like, hey, all right, like, you know, why, why are you doing this? Right. You know? And I was like, uh, Hey, you know, it's like, Thomas, uh, you know, you guys, uh, Pen rejected me, uh, you know, a few years ago. So now I'm returning the favor. <laughs> that was the most satisfying thing ever. You know,
1: <laughs> I can imagine. The only,
0: the only way you can get over a heartbreak like that.
1: Yes. I guess in some way you could say like, Oh, I picked this other one that's either equal or maybe a little bit better than you <laughs> in some respect to some people. So after you like accepted the offer to Harvard, did you feel like you regretted rejecting Wharton, or did you like reject it and you're like I'm not looking back, this is it?
0: <laughs> I think I, I think for me it was it was always the the dream school, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, like I, I actually wanted to. I was thinking of Stanford as well, but their essay question was just so difficult because you know, their essay question until today, it's still the same. And I, the friends that I have who've who've been to Stanford, I'm like, you know, I have so much respect for you because the essay question that they have is what matters to you most and why, right? I think something like that. Right. And it's just one question, you know, and I thought, man, this is, this is so deep. Like I I cannot answer this properly. So, so with, with that constraint, you know, HPS was the best option for me. (laughs) And, and, and I, I also obviously, you know, just having grown up in a small town in Samarang and you know, in Indonesia, and being able to have that access and that network, I I just thought, you know, was was what I needed.
1: And then you took the two years at HBS. Were they like really formative for you? What was like the biggest thing you got out of it? You know, apart from being able to go, and the network.
0: I think you know, the network and just the 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 type of people that you meet and the I the opportunity to have two years to really think about bigger things and to push yourself and to say like, hey, you know, what's, what's my purpose in life? Can I do something big in life, right? So when you're sort of in the rot, you know, when you're in GE or when you're working in a job, you're so focused on the day-to-day. And I think the best part about going to any program, any education institution, especially graduate, is you have the opportunity to step back. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I really appreciated about it. And that's where I, I realized, you know, I came in thinking I'm gonna do healthcare, but that's where I, it became clear to me, no, I want to do education. So in my summer, I ended up, you know, working in India in reliance retail. But my second year, I was all all the classes that I took was either about entrepreneurship or education. Because I knew, hey, I I think my real passion is in building an education business.
1: And then you went to Reliance and worked in India, right? What was like the thinking behind working in India this time? Or did you just like Reliance?
0: I wanted to, you know, so before I zeroed in on education, I was think one more space that I was thinking about was retail. And, you know, that was late 2000s was the start of retail, the retail boom in India because, you know, stores were just getting modernized and, you know, and Reliance was one of the companies that was, at the forefront, right? so I, I just wanted to go and learn what was happening there, so that was the thinking behind behind going to reliance retail.
1: and then after your, you know you've finished up your time at Reliance, did you realize like, okay, I don't think I want to go to retail or I don't think I want to build in an India and I want to build in Indonesia
0: not, not exactly after, after that, but I, I became more clear that I think I want to do education, mm-hmm. and so I was working with you know this other Indian guy and this this American girl. Three of us, we were putting together an education plan for India K twelve chain of schools, but then I over Christmas I came to Jakarta to visit my brother and my parents, and on the way to the airport, and that's when I was like, you know, I I started remembering the words of one of my professors in first year in MBA, and he said, "Hey, never build a business based on the industry that you want to build in, but always build it based on." which country you want to live in. Because building a business is doing something long-term, right? And you can only do something long-term if you're happy in the circumstances, right? And one of the things that determines happiness is where you live. Yeah. So I remember that as I was on the way, I was like, I don't think I'll be happy in India. I don't think that's the country I'm going to be happy in, right? I because think it's not happiest, home, right? It's not home. I, I, you know, I'm happiest in Indonesia. And so, mm. so that's when we, you know, decided hey yeah you know I want to build education but should I do it in India or not and I, I decided I you know probably we, we will not do education I'll focus just first of all just focus on finding myself a way to get back to Indonesia.
1: Is that why you ended up starting like Viva Health like because you decided, okay maybe not education but I want to build in Indonesia and I guess how did you decide to build in healthcare in Indonesia versus start with education?
0: So after my second year, you know, I was looking for jobs and I was clear, I want to come back to Indonesia because of the reason I said earlier, right? And so I happened to get a job with Johnson & Johnson uh, and leading their diabetes business in Indonesia. So I came back. My boss was Filipino and, you know, Vigi Fontanilla, right? And so because he was in Manila, I would have to end up going to Manila often. And when I was going to Manila, that's when I started seeing that, hey, you know what? I used to sell the pharmacy chain. So I would go to the genetics pharmacy. I would go to mercury drugstores, right? and there were so many of these stores over there and i was like you know what this, it just seems like there's a lot more pharmacies in philippines than there are in indonesia and when i dug into it it was true right there was actually a lot more pharmacies in you know per capita i think in indonesia back then for every 20 some thousand people was one pharmacy in india for every 3000 people there's one pharmacy in the philippines i think it was every 6000 people there's one pharmacy right and so I, I just saw, hey, looks like there's a huge opportunity to build a, a chain of pharmacy stores in Indonesia. It's mostly unorganized sector. And so that's that was the inspiration for Viva Health.
1: You know, I think that's a great point. Like growing up around the same time, there were so many pharmacies in the Philippines. But I never realized that, you know, in other countries, there probably aren't that many. But like looking back at like the few months in Indonesia at around a similar age, I don't think I ever remember a pharmacy. <laughs> Like, in the mall, I don't think I saw any. But in the film, you see it at the mall, in your neighborhood, in that little mini neighborhood mall, in the corner, beside the ga- near gasoline
0: station. Yeah, yeah. And and in each pharmacy uh, does really well. I mean, Mercury, drugstores, right? It's a uh, genetics pharmacy. The rate at which they were growing was crazy.
1: Yeah. And then, so when you decided to build, like, In healthcare, was your initial idea something like related to the pharmacies and all? Or like, how did you stumble upon like the business model you ended up with for Biva Health?
0: Uh, So like I said, you know, just it came from just the realization that there's a shortage of pharmacies in Mm -hmm. the country. Pharmacies for anything related to healthcare, pharmacies is a great starting point because, you know, when you are sick, that's the first place you go to. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the tech equivalent of healthcare, right, it is the top of funnel. Right of healthcare, and so I thought, hey, this is a great place to start. You can build a great distribution platform with a pharmacy chain, and then on top of that, you can always build other services such as oh, um,
1: afterwards.
0: You you can build you know you can add a GP to mm-hmm. a pharmacy. You can add specialists, right? You because can make there are hubs
1: now, in a sense, right? E-
0: Each pharmacy e- is exactly a hub. exactly oh, okay. exactly because even if you look at hospitals or whatnot, right? You know, often the most profitable part of a hospital also is the pharmacy itself, right? So, you know, I, I just saw for for that reason that, hey, this can be the first point of contact for a patient when they are sick. And then from that, you can understand the needs and build on top.
1: So from the realization, the business model is actually quite similar. Like you didn't go through different iterations before stumbling upon like starting multiple pharmacies.
0: The iteration, the major iteration that we went through was, you know, we started off with a generics model. Right, oh. focusing purely on generics, but then later on realized that hey, look, you know, because I wanted to offer great service, great uh, quality, affordable. right? Have mm-hmm. the best, you know, comply by regulations, have pharmacists in each place, right? But at the same time, you're only selling generic products, which then you know the PNL will, will never make sense. Oh, okay. so, so that that was a big change that we made. Yeah,
1: I see. And then you built that for a little over five years, like how did you like i don't think i saw this on the news like did you sell the company i think it's still alive now so i was wondering like how how did you end end up like stopping not stopping but like get to the end of your journey there and then starting like co-learn after
0: i think that was probably one of my biggest learning experiences so you know look uh, i up until that point in my life I, i sort of started from samarang salatiga in a small boy growing up in this place and just saw incremental success, right? And I mean, when we started that pharmacy chain, Viva, like, our seed check back in 2011 was $10.3 million, mm-hmm. right? That was the seed check. So you can imagine like, you know, you, you just come back from B-school, a great B-school, you've gotten a seed check of $10.3 million. So somewhere without knowing it, your sort of arrogance starts to oh. pile up, right? You know, and you start to think like, i'm so great right like i know what i'm doing and you stop listening to people right and i think uh, somewhere that's probably what i end up doing as well right is just stop listening to my investors right who are saying the right things because you know you've got a, a business has to be able to generate cash flows has to be able to deliver profitability right and and you know somewhere i think it just got lost because i i just started thinking about valuations and you know Hey this is what matters. the story matters so with with viva health we we started off with this massive seed round check right you know mm-hmm. like a check size of ten million dollars back in twenty eleven for yeah. a seed round was unheard of right yeah, yeah i mean now now it's more common, right but even now like normally when you hear seed yeah, round it's like now a million, it's not two that million, million, five million yeah right it, yeah but you know and so so you can imagine like you know as this this young you know twenty something year old who's just come back and who thinks you're on top of the world and now you're getting this external validation so you just keep you know thinking like hey this is great and you just keep now thinking about valuation right the bigger and bigger valuation without really understanding the fundamentals of business which is that you have to have cash flow yeah. right and you know so we went because we had a super angel who had funded us and we went from there to private equity. It went from number oh. of lives touched to, to bottom line, right? Oh my goodness. And that shift for me took a long time. And, and I think, you know, somewhere it was also arrogance of not being, not listening to people, right? And I think eventually my investors were just like, what the heck? Man? This guy is just not listening, right? You know, and, and, and they, by the way, like back then I didn't understand it, but now I do that. You know, to, to their credit, they tried. Right. Mm-hmm. They've tried, but I, I just was not in that frame of listening. Right. People felt like they had to walk on eggshells, right? Uh, oh, to talk to, talk to, to you. Me, to talk to mm-hmm. me. And and you know, but I always felt like, hey, this is my idea, this is my business, like I can do what I want, right? And that's not how life works, right? You know, when you've got investors' money, you've got other people's money, you've got to run a good business, right? Yes. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Because the objective of business, number one objective, is to make money. And hopefully you're making money doing the right thing. Yes. Right. And so I lost sight of that. So finally, you know, I had uh, our investors come in one day and say, like, hey, listen, like, you're, you're, you know, I, I think you need to step aside and make room for a gray haired person to, to run a retail business like this. Right. And so so that was really the the, the start of, of, you know, when you were asking me. Right. So so then I, I stepped aside. I still I, you know, I still have taken that business. Right. Still continue to be on the board of the the company. Uh, as well. And it's it's doing well now, right? It's actually one of the few businesses in Southeast Asia, which is, you know, a startup business, which is actually generating revenue. Yeah. Right? And it's just been sort of chugging along and just growing steadily year by year, just yeah. continuously improving, right?
1: It's cool because it started in 2011 and it's still here. Like a lot of still, businesses still here, still here.
0: Have like still, shut down. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I I can say that, you know, I tell my wife, like, hey, you know, I think I, I've not I've not created, you know, multi-billion-dollar businesses yet, right? And I'm not even sure I want to, right? Because I want to create profitable and cash flow generating businesses. But the one good thing is, the businesses that I've been involved in, at least they're they're around, right? They're yeah. still here, right? Businesses that last, but like chugging chugging along and like just improving bit by bit. You know, I hope, I wish they could improve faster, but they're just improving bit by bit every day.
1: And so, like when you had to leave, did you feel like really upset about it, or by the time that you're also oh, leave, you kind of understood already?
0: Now I understand. Back then, I did not, right? Okay. And the only thing, the only thing I didn't understand back then was, look, I, you know what? When investors are asking you to step back, you should,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Because, you know, like, legally, I could have said, like, no, no, I, I, I want to stay, right? Because a CEO change couldn't have happened without my involvement, right? Without my agreement. But I felt like, look, you know, it's the, it's the right thing to do when when you've lost the faith and confidence of those who back you, right? Then then that's a signal, right? So I that much that understanding I did have, but I I was not in the right frame of mind. I always felt like all oh, right, you know, they could have done this better. They could have done that better. They should have done this better. They should have done that better. Right. And I didn't have the maturity to understand it. actually no, you know, Abbey, what what is it that you could have done better? Right. So I I was in a period of where it was like three or four months of just, you know, a lot of I was super sad, right? Mm-hmm. Super sad, literally couldn't get out of bed for a couple of weeks, right?
1: I guess it was like everything to you because you're doing it for it was, it was my baby. five years. It was my, it was my baby. Then. Yeah.
0: It, it, was, it was my baby and I, and I never and I never built a business. You know, because whenever I built a business, it was not with the mindset that this is transactional. I want to build it and I want to sell it to someone, right? When I, when I built Viva, it was just with the mindset that, hey, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, my baby's gone. Like, what do I do now? Right. So so that was yeah, it was definitely a, a big hit for me.
1: So how did you like slowly get over it or like get to terms of it? Was it like a two year journey slowly? Was it mostly a six month journey or do you never yeah, really get over it?
0: it? No, no, it was it was a couple of years. Right. And, you know, I again, I I look back and I just feel like I'm so thankful for the kind of people that I had and uh you know, I was telling you this morning, right? I was as being thankful to my bosses, but I was also thinking about other, other people. And I definitely those investors like back in the day, I you know, the guys who backed me, they're super gracious folks. Cause they they kept me around, know, they supported me, right? You know, even even after, right? Uh when they didn't have to, right? Gave me that time and and that space. And so I guess it took some time, but but finally, you know, I I, again, I, I had this thing where I knew education was my passion, right, yeah. also. So it was, it was always amongst these two things. I always knew it was either going to be healthcare or education. And the reason I wanted to do those two things is because of my experiences, but also because I felt like I don't want to wait till the last day of my life to, or you know, to the later years of my life to give back, right? The nice thing about healthcare and education, as you're building, you can be giving back to society. Yeah. Right. And you and I always believe that you can be in these two sectors, you can be building massively profitable businesses. So, you know, something where I can be doing financially well for myself as well as doing good for others. And so, you know, because I had this idea of education in my mind, uh, I guess I started focusing more and more on, OK, going back to you know what is it exactly that I want to build in education? So that and, and that helped me sort of, you know, uh, move on.
1: I think you mentioned in another interview that you saw that other businesses, they make people spend money but then the business you chose to build in. I guess this is for colearn they help people make money. But I think tying into said earlier it's like how do you make a business that actually helps people inherently not just makes people spend money?
0: Yeah, you know, that exactly. So, you know, I I mean, because I'd grown up in Indonesia, I'd seen this country. I love this country. I love the people here, right? But one thing I always saw is expats, you know, when when expats would talk about Indonesians, right? They would always feel like, "Well, it's not the same as it is in the U.S. or in China or in India. Like, you know, people are different. Like, people are not as driven, right?" And and I I'd, I'd always feel like, but I felt this association, you know, with Indonesia. Where I felt like I felt bad every time someone would say that. Mm-hmm. I thought like I I want to fix this, right? Uh, and so yeah, I need you know for me it was always okay how can I help Indonesians be confident? Because one of the things I also remembered was. My first year, when I, when, I, when I first went to Boston to go see Harvard's campus, the admissions director there, you know, I asked her, I said, hey, you know, why is it that I see so many Indians and so many Chinese and so many, you know, other nationalities here, but I, I don't see any Indonesians, right? Like, well, even every year, you don't admit as many Indonesians. Back then, there was very few Indonesians that were admitted, right? One, maybe one in a year, right? And she said to me, hey, you know, it's not that we don't admit Indonesian students, it's that they don't apply. Oh, okay. Right? They just didn't apply. And so I, I always felt like, how do I overcome this issue of confidence in this country? And I, and I always thought education was the way. The other thing I always felt with healthcare was, I love healthcare, but I, you know, when you're dealing with people who have diabetes, who have cholesterol, who have you know, uric acid, what, all, all these issues, it's like later on in life, mm-hmm. right? By the time, you know, By the time they're fixing those things, it's just later years. But in education, you can fix a lot in someone's life very early in their life. And so, so those are the, the points that got me thinking that, hey, you know, I, I'm sure now I want to be in education. And and then one more thing I did is I went for a Vipassana. I, I don't know if you've heard of Vipassana. Yeah,
1: the meditation.
0: The 10 day meditation course where you cannot look at anyone in the yeah. eyes. You cannot, you know, so I had a friend, Winston here in, in Jakarta who'd done that. And it was in my mind, it was, you know, it was an itch I wanted to scratch. And so I just went there before my, my first child was born. Uh, and I just you know took 10 days off when my wife was eight or nine months pregnant she's gonna kill me and I said no I, I just have to do this before my child is born so I'm a better dad and a better human being I went there and in those 10 days when you're not you know you can't read a book you can't do anything so I was just thinking like you know but this came into my head what became clear is I want to be in Indonesia I want to do education right and, and I can see myself doing this for the rest of my life
1: so like talking about Kohler like shortly how do you feel like building it after almost five years as well do you feel like there were a lot of lessons that you brought in from your first business or do you think like there are lots of new challenges like now building at this time versus like when you started viva health
0: no i think there was you know initially when i was building the business i brought in a lot of those lessons because they were fresh Mm -hmm. because i i remembered that hey you know Look, the reason I got kicked out as CEO is because I did not focus on cash flow. I did not focus on profitability, which is the number one thing a business should focus on. So when I started building this business, we were building, you know, me and my co-founder, Mark, you know, we were building offline centers, right? Teaching coding, yeah. math, English, and they were doing super well. They were they were some of the most beautiful centers, not only in Indonesia, but probably in the world, right? When it comes to you know, these younger kids, and and they were generating cash flow, right? But then again, somewhere along the way, then we again got into, well, you know, okay, how do we scale quicker, right? So we went hybrid. Then we said, okay, now how do we scale even quicker? And we went online. And I actually, you know, looking back, I think the idea to go online was, it's fantastic. And I I actually believe that that is the right way. That is the future, right? That is what I should focus on. But somewhere, you know, there was just this couple of year period where there was so much froth in the markets, right, where you know you were, everybody was raising, and you would look at your success based on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. If people on LinkedIn were posting how much money they were raising, and you weren't raising, then you know there's something wrong, and your investors yeah. would be calling and saying like, "Hey, this person is raising this much, that person's raising this much," right? Yes. And you would just feel insecure about yourself, right?
1: And they were raising an X amount of months just after their last raise. Why aren't you exactly. raising exactly? And like, X like, what are you doing? Like, in,
0: in life, you're doing something wrong. So I think that's where I. Lost sight of the learnings that I had mm-hmm. in my first business, right, and and so I think that 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 period, but you know the so it was, it was this couple of years where where we sort of you know again got got somewhere in our mind into this trap of you know wow wow Mao Dao right and top of funnel and you know thinking about all of that rather than just thinking about cash flow and profitability and and whatnot, but I, I think it's you know. I say to my wife also, you know, it's, it's good because the thing about age now. Sometimes I feel very old, right? As a as a forty year old, I, I look at, you know, I look around, I see, you know, founders who are in the mid twenties and early thirties, and I feel like, oh my god, am I am I old? Right. The only good thing about age, though, I I see, you know, I've I see a lot of founders now talk about profitability. I see a lot of VC funds talk about profitability, right? But what I see is that people have changed their tune, right? Because now profitability is the flavor of the day. So everybody's saying, yeah. flavor, you know, is speaking to the flavor of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I wonder whether it's really something ingrained in people's minds. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the only good thing about age and experience has been I've been through it twice. When you put, you know, one point on a paper is just a point. But when you put two points, it's a pattern. Right. Yes. And And so once you've gone through it twice, you know, like, mm-hmm. hey, no matter what happens, you know, if if good times come back again, like I just cannot remember because I've been through this twice.
1: Yes, like I've seen this before. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. So... And I've seen this before
0: twice now. Right. So <laughs> yes, it's it like
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the first business, like you said, your mistake was trying to like sort of get on with the hype and raise more and more the valuation, all these things. So when the hype came the past few years and everyone was raising, you could like see through it. So you mean that's the pattern that you saw and you didn't sort of try to join in
0: on the hype again no no I, I i was able to i i was i was thinking about it early on but uh-huh. i lost my way also oh, right again. i i i i also sort of you know started thinking about these things because mm. you 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 just kept seeing that around you right and and so i i went again and you know my co-founder he he has a family business right and he mm. sort of you know focused you know turned it from loss making it profitable right so Again, all of us, we started questioning whether we're thinking the right thing or not, right? So no, so my my point was, no, I I got caught up in that as well, right? And Uh I mean, looking back, looking back, there's a lot, I could have been so much better about the way I spent money in the business, right? The decision that I made, the people that I hired, right? Uh, How much I paid people, right? And all those things, I could have been a lot more thoughtful about if I was thinking, you know, in terms of metrics that really matter for a business, which is ultimately cash flow and profitability, right? But I, but I lost my way.
1: Oh, wow. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. What sort of woke you up then? Was it after, you know, all the hype happened? Or did something else happen? Yeah, yeah
0: well, you know, the I guess the good thing about the past experience was that as soon as I saw people also seeing that, hey, look, there's something wrong here, right? Hey, interest rates are going up, you know, this is not going to last. I guess the benefit of the past experience that I had had is that I I woke up to it earlier, right? Because oh. I know like, hey, I've seen this before. Because for some of the younger founders, you know, they were like, ah, maybe this is maybe this is a bad nightmare. Maybe, maybe things will get better soon. Maybe this is a six month problem. Maybe this is a one-year problem. Maybe this is a two-year problem, but things will get better, right? But for me, I was clear like, no, this, I don't think this is gonna get better because this is, you know, because th- this is reality. We were just living a nice dream, mm-hmm. right? Where things were so easy. It was so easy to get money. But actually, it should not be so easy to get money. A business, you know, it's hard to make profit. It takes time. And, and this is the reality that we're getting back to. And I saw that earlier. And as a result of that, I guess what we've done is because we'd raised capital, but we were just then, you know, we were sort of quicker to start cutting costs and to start getting the business more in line. I, I, I mean, again, looking back, I wish I'd still done it even quicker. But, you know, it was quick enough to where it gives us, you know, a great chance to still keep building yeah. in this environment.
1: Would you say that was the hardest time you had like building CoLearn, or would you say there was an even tougher time either on the personal side or the work side?
0: No, I, I think, you know, the, the toughest time was probably what I said to you earlier, right? Mm-hmm. When you, I was let go as CEO of my company and, and just learning there, right? I think and life for me generally has never been super easy, right? It's always mm-hmm. been like, hey, you know, fighting for stuff and trying hard for stuff. Yeah. But I think that's that's also good because that's the way it should be. So it's it's never been like you know super tough at any point, but it's just been you know neither has been super easy. So I think building colearn has been you know not forgetting the lessons from the past, right? I think that's yeah. what I probably beat myself up on the most. Not just about valuation, but also one of the things that I I see is you know for example in countries like Indonesia, right? Business, you, you, are you learning from the right people, right? So uh yes as much as i respect vcs and 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 you know investors right i've learned that hey you know you've also got to learn from operators right from people who've actually built businesses and they've been around not for 5 years but 10 15 20 50 you know uh, years right and i i see a lot of like in the philippines and in indonesia you have all these family businesses yes. right you know who've just been around and they've just been chugging along and just keep generating a profit year after year right and, and these, these are the folks who really understand how a market works, right? Like, you know, people talk about fintech, right? Mm-hmm. It's, not that, it's not that banks in Indonesia don't know that, you know, there's people who are unbanked, right? Yeah. The, reason, the reason they're unbanked is because they don't have money, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or consumer product, products businesses, right? You know, the number one fundamental of a, of a consumer product business, you know, most, most businesses here, they will not change their price right? It's okay to make the chocolate bar thinner and thinner and thinner, but Mm -hmm. you cannot raise the price, right? Because people have limited money in their Yes, Yes, right. And so these basic things that you know, these businesses understand, that's what I've been, you know, now, like looking back, I think for me, the biggest lesson is, hey, who do I learn from? Right? Uh, And I, I it has to be a mix, right? Like, you know, investors and VCs can teach you certain things, but also these operators who've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a totally different set of things that you can learn from them, which you shouldn't lose sight of.
1: I have two last questions for you before I let you go. And the first one is, what's a story from maybe a customer of yours that keeps you going, maybe at Colearn or at Viva health?
0: i mean at at Colearn, you know when we shut down our offline businesses, mm-hmm. we literally got calls from parents. So you know, there is there's a parent who would come and say, hey, my daughter, asked, you know, when, when it's about uh, Kumon, her daughter would hate to go to Kumon every day, right? But yeah. the parent would have to push the kid. Yeah. yeah. But when it was oh, sorry, when it was IQ days, uh-huh. yeah, because back then we were called IQ education, yeah. the kid would say to the mom, she'd wake up and say like, mom, is it my IQ day today, oh. right? And some of these same parents then, uh, when we were shutting down, we literally got phone calls of them crying. Like, why are you shutting down this business? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, because we were shifting online. And we see something similar now when we, you know, as we we focus more on our, our paid product versus our free product, we, we just have so much love for the product, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the fact that we've always built something which has been loved by consumers, right? And something that they want to come back to. Because any great business that I see, whether it's KFC, whether it's Starbucks, the key aspect of any of these businesses is repeatability. Someone wants to keep coming back to you, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's something that we've been able to build. But now, you know, we're we're just combining it with the other pieces of getting the price right.
1: And the last question I have for you is a question I ask everyone on the podcast. And the question is, outside of work, what's one thing that you want to achieve in your personal life at any given point in time?
0: Be a great dad and a great husband you know i think that's that's probably the the most important accomplishment to me i'm 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 doing a okay job with my son i'm doing a okay job with my wife but my daughter on the other hand you know she's very she's she's 5 years old and she's very hard to, to it's very hard to get her love and attention you know i come home every day and uh, i try to hug her and she runs away and one day i asked her like hey you know honey why do you why do you always run away from me and she says uh, that's because you don't try hard enough so it's my goal now to become a better dad.
1: Try harder. <laughs> I guess girls are a bit harder. I think I heard something Very. similar from one of my friends when she was growing up.
0: <laughs> Very hard.
1: Okay, we wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for joining and hope to see you soon.
0: Thanks, Amanda.